With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What is happening, everybody? Welcome to a new episode of Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast on the Crossing Broad Network. I am Bob Wankel, and I am joined this evening by a guest, uh, a Crossing Broad writer, Phil Kaidel. Uh, Anthony, uh, very busy this weekend, uh, or, or this week, this upcoming week. He's uh, directing Guys and Dolls uh, out in media, I believe it is, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, so he's got rehearsals late into the night this week. And I needed somebody. I needed somebody to come on and, and talk about this wonderful and exciting pennant race that we're in right now. And I think I have found just the guy in Phil Kaidel. So, Phil, welcome. I appreciate you hopping on with us. And uh, I, I said to you a couple minutes ago when we were preparing for the show that I've reached my capacity on the 2018 Phillies. I, I feel like I've reached the point where I have nothing new to offer and nothing new to say. And so if you want to tune out right now, everybody, you can feel free to do that. Um, I'm there though. I mean, I, I hate this team. They've they've sucked the joy out of this season for me. I know that they're six games above 500 still. I know that they are still loosely hanging on to a, uh, you know, I guess what you would call a playoff chase pennant race, if you want to call it that. Uh, this team's dead. They've been dead for about two or three weeks now, and uh, I, I I've pointed that out on the show re- repeatedly. Uh, so. Phil, what do, you, what do you got for the people that, that maybe Anthony and, and myself have been missing the past couple of weeks? Well, as a starting point, let's first of all, I'll, I'll thank you for having me on. Uh, I've always looked forward to getting a chance to talk some baseball with you, and tonight's the night. Uh, let's have a little bit of fun with what happened tonight with them not playing. You know, Chase Utley <laughs> was known for years in this town for walking up to Kashmir, and, and obviously a wonderful song. It's a missed opportunity tomorrow if the first Philly doesn't walk up to when the levee breaks. That seems like a layup to me, and I, I hope they. I don't think it'll happen, but I think it would be great if they could. Um, what would you have me say? Well, first off, this team, to my mind, has done one of the greatest jobs I've ever seen of disproving the old uh, Billy Bean adage that was uh, ascribed to him that closes are important are not important because the three run lead or two run lead usually does the job for you. Um, there was a point earlier in this season where they blew a lot of close games and blew a lot of late leads. And we knew that those wins they didn't get in those games were going to be costly, and they really hurt now because the Braves haven't exactly run away with this. And if you could swing two or three of those earlier games that you blew because the bullpen couldn't close the deal, you know, maybe you're a game out, maybe you're a half game out, maybe these games matter a little bit more. And for that matter... Perhaps you have a little more spirit, a little more hot going to places like Miami and New York. And instead of going two and four in those last six games, you go four and two. I have a lot of problems and reservations about where the Phillies are. And I don't think this season is going to be such a feel good season when we start talking about this team in December and January. Um, And again, I haven't spent 
uh, every waking moment listening uh, to you and Anthony, but I, I know where you're coming from. One of my biggest problems is that this team thought it was going to inject life into itself by bringing in a bunch of 30-plus guys that nobody wanted anymore. Uh, the Justin Boers, the Wilson Ramoses, um, Jose Batista is on this team. Uh, Adrubal Cabrera, who ha- haven't we seen what he is? Um, so, you know, every time they brought another one of these guys in, they proved they didn't believe they could win this year. They weren't going to try to win this year. And that's a shame for a guy like Aaron Nola, who's pitching his ass off, for lack of a better you phrase. You can say ass, yeah. Yeah, we're, for we're sure. Feisty on I mean, this he's thing amazing. He's amazing. And he's so much fun to watch. And for a guy like Jake Arrieta at 32, who, you know, how many years of elite production, I mean, not that he's been elite this year, but he's been better than average. How many more years of that can you count on from him? Um, now, then again, they can only pitch uh, every five days, uh, you know, two of them every five days. Unfortunately, you're still stuck watching the likes of Zach Eflin go out and, as you pointed out the other night on Twitter, not give his team a chance. Well, let me let me kind of direct this, and and I'm I'm interested in in hearing what you have to say about this. So one of the things that Anthony and I have spent a lot of time talking about is not so much that this team is going to hover around 500, or maybe they finish a game or two over, or maybe they finish a game or two under. It's it's more a matter of the way things have played out over the last month. Um, you know, we're not talking about the Phillies needing to win 95 games and overcome a, a dominant Nationals team to win the National League East. I mean, if you went back to March and you would have said, listen, this team's going to fall short this season. They're going to finish in second place. They're going to finish a, a handful of games outside of, uh, of uh, the playoffs. You would have said, okay, that's fine, because this was a, a team that was almost 40 games over or under 500 a year ago. And now here we are, and we're at this point where – you, they, they're on the fringe of the postseason, and we probably would have signed up for that. If I would have said you could legitimately believe you had a chance to make the playoffs in September, if I would have told you that back in March, I think a lot of people would have said, hell yeah, let's go. That sounds like a good season. One of my biggest problems with the way that this thing has played out is the fact that this was there for the taking. This, they are chasing a Braves team that is also young, that is also flawed, that hasn't played particularly well over the last four or five weeks. I know they won three out of four in Arizona this past weekend, but they have left the door open for the Phillies series after series after series, and the Phillies refuse to break down that door or walk through it. And to me, that's what's most frustrating. It's not that they're they're not quite there yet. They're not at the level of the elite teams like the Cubs. You know, it, it's that this was an eminently winnable division, and they are just failing time and time again to take advantage of it. And you look at what they've done the past couple of weeks. They're, they have the worst record in the National League, I believe, since August 18th. Um, they have not won a series in over a month now, multiple series against the Marlins, the Mets, and they just can't get it done. And it's there for the taking. And they just keep falling on their faces over and over and over again. And to me, that's what makes this infuriating. Not that they won't make the playoffs, but because of the way this went down, that's what leaves such a sour taste in my mouth. Well, the reason why they haven't been able to rise to the occasion or grab this division by the lapels, or however you want to phrase it, is that it's September 10th, and they're batting 237 as a team. Now, I know we like to talk about uh, getting walks and getting on base, and these things are important. Well, the team on base percentage is 316. So that's not that great either. And oh, by the way, drawing a walk doesn't help you very much if the next guy strikes out and the guy after him grounds in a double play. So 
I think we saw that in the game uh, on Saturday night. Uh, and I don't know, and I don't blame you if you haven't haven't been watching every inning over the last week or two. Uh, when they were in New York uh, and they faced Noah Syndergaard, I mean, they had base runners all over the place in that game. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe they had 17 runners on in that game. Uh, and they just they couldn't put up big innings. They, they couldn't push runs across. And that's, that's been a, a symptom of this team's deficiencies all season. Well, that and the fact that, if I remember correctly, they got off to a really bad start in that game and were down a bunch of runs early. Yeah, and Zach Eflin, um, I mean, you mentioned it earlier. You know, it's like I said, they, they just – he has not given this team a chance uh, the last four or five times through, through on him. Except I actually have uh, harsher words for Velasquez and Pavetta if you really want to get right down oh, to man. it. I can't <laughs> you know, this is a pro-Nick Pavetta show. I know. Well, uh, I'll get to him in a second. But, I mean, and I have – spent many a, a moment on slack uh preaching this i can't watch velasquez pitch anymore i don't want to hear about his stuff anymore i can't take him being uh one run four hits three walks three strikeouts and 86 pitches in the top of the fifth inning like it's enough already i can't take it anymore and if you're in that bullpen you come to the park figuring that your turn's coming up. You better be ready to pitch because this guy's not going much past five five innings on any given night. So if we're going to – at some point, you and Anthony, I'm sure, are going to go down this roster and say, what are the priorities for this team to get itself ready to hopefully compete in 2019? Um, I think he's got to be on the list. I don't know if you can convert him into a reasonable, useful bullpen pitcher. I've heard people say make him a closer, but – I don't know. Does he does he have enough movement on the fastball to close? So well, well, yeah, you know what's interesting that and we'll just talk about Velasquez for a second. This is the thing that the Phillies had to figure out this offseason. If you want to roll into 2019 with Vince Velasquez in the rotation, I don't necessarily have an issue with that because of, and I know, and, and I'm with you, because back in March and April and, and when he got off to a rough start this season, I said, I'm tired of hearing about the stuff. I'm tired of hearing about the strikeouts. You know, but when you look at the, the overall stat line on the season, I mean, the, the whip is down. The ERA is down. He's, he's proven that he can stay relatively healthy for the most part. In a lot of ways, Vince Velasquez is, has taken a step forward, and maybe it's not the step that we were hoping for. Maybe he's not a top-of-the-rotation guy like maybe we had hoped for a couple years ago when he made that outrageous start against the Padres and he struck out 16 and we're all thinking future ace. Maybe he's not going to be that dominant top of the top of the rotation guy, but he has taken some steps forward. And so for me, if the Phillies come back and they have a proven one-two up top and, and somebody that you can really feel good about three and four, then I don't mind Vince Velasquez as your fifth starter because he's a guy that can be dominant you know, from time to time. There was a 10-start ten, ten stretch earlier this season where he was one of the best starters in the National League, and, and he had not put together that type of run at any point in his career. So in a way, though he's been inconsistent lately and, and he certainly has regressed back to what we saw in 2016-2017 the last month or so, there has been some progression on that end. But the problem for me is that it's Vince Velasquez and it's Zach Eflin and it's Nick Pavetta, and you just don't know what you're going to get start to start from any of those three guys. And so I would be hard-pressed if I was trying to say to the rest of baseball, I'm, we're going for it this year. We, we believe that we can you know, make the playoffs, win the division, be a legitimate contender in the National League. I don't think that you can run those three guys back out there in succession three through five in your rotation. That's my problem. And so what the Phillies are going to have to sort out, in my opinion, is 
which one of these guys is worth taking that chance on and trotting back out there again next season? I'm not numbers dominant, nor am I a mathematician, but I will say that I quickly calculated um, Velasquez's stats here. Just in terms of games started and innings pitched, he has started 27 games. He has thrown 138 innings. That works out to just a shade over five innings to start. And then you have Pavetta, who has thrown 145 innings and given up 146 hits. So yeah. I mean, if you're going to give up a hit an inning over 145 innings, your ERA is going to be 4.6. Yeah, but, and, but you know, I mean, what makes him tantalizing is just that you look at the strikeouts. You look at these runs that he gets on where he's striking out 11 guys every nine innings, and you go, this is elite stuff. I mean, when you look historically at Philly starters, I mean, this is like a top four performance all time in franchise history in strikeouts per nine. And I think that that's what ends up happening. And I agree with you. I mean, when Pavetta's in the zone, he gets rocked. I mean – when he when he misses spots, he doesn't get away with it ever, um, and and that's a little bit of a concern. And sometimes he starts to nibble, and and just the demeanor on the mound changes. But when he's going well, you see this, you see the potential. And and again, I, I agree with you. I mean, I'm I'm certainly not trying to defend Vince Velasquez or, or Nick Pavetta, but there is some upside with these guys. But they, they've just got to decide. Well, all right, who's worth? Who's worth gambling on moving forward? I just don't think you can do, for the very reason that you said, you're talking about these guys averaging almost five innings a start. I just don't think you can roll into another season with that from multiple starters. You have to have more certainty in this rotation. And so you reach, I guess, for a starting pitcher on the free agent market in this offseason, although I don't know how great the pickings are. But you only have to find a three, right? You only have to find somebody who can you can slot into your third starter and then you go to camp and you tell Pavetta and Velasquez and Eflin, look, one of you guys is not coming north. So somebody better pitch well, or two of you better pitch well, and prove that you belong here. Yeah, it's kind of amazing that they, they sort of have done this the last couple of years, like with Charlie Morton and Clay Buchholz. Like they found those guys, but they found them a year too early. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and I see at, the Buchholz is like – that they're having. You're yeah, like, yeah Buchholz is like 7-2 and two now, and, and I know Morton and – And Morton's been out though. of his mind. But Morton, yeah, I mean, obviously Morton was one of the best pitchers in baseball last year and, and has had you know more than his share of moments this year as well, although right now I think he's on the DL. Um, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, when they reached for Buckholtz and when they reached for Morton, there was a reason why those guys were willing to come to Philadelphia at those moments in their career because they weren't really that much in demand anywhere else, and the Phillies were willing to overpay them to get them to come here on one-year deals. And then, you know, the injuries that have caused them to be not prime commodities in the league, bit them while they happen to be here, and they've gone on and had success somewhere else. These things happen. Uh, you can't really fret about that too much. There's no way you could have convinced me that either Morton or Buckholz were worth a further investment after what the Phillies paid. Oh, no, absolutely not. I mean, I think that they were certainly right to, to move on and cut ties, go young. I mean, it's it, that's not the indictment here. It's it's just that it, it's ironic in the sense that this is sort of what they need, I think. I think that they need a more proven commodity moving forward. Now, I don't know that it needs to necessarily be a reclamation project like one of those two guys, but I would really like to see, and I know that this isn't going to be on you know, the priority list for a lot of people this winter, but I would like to see somebody else in there that I know what I'm going to get. Like I can project it out over 30-plus starts and say, I know that this guy's going to give me six innings to start. I know he's going to pitch in the low to mid threes um, in terms of ERA. I know that he's going to, to be a, a plus 500 pitcher for me if I get I could reasonable live with, offense. I can live with mid to high threes. 
you know, the way Lackey was with the Cubs for a couple of years there, where he just takes the ball every five days and sometimes gives up five runs in six innings, but sometimes he goes seven innings and gives up three, and you have a chance to win the game. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't disagree. Um, Who's going to close for this team next year? <laughs> I'm sorry to keep coming. Well, back you know to what? The no, and that's a good question, and I actually want to get back to that. I, I, I want to ask you this first. So. I have, and I'm not saying this because I I want people to know how much I watch the Phillies and how invested I am. I mean, part of it is that I love the Phillies, but also part of it is that I I have to write about the Phillies, so I have to watch these games when when other people say, what are you, crazy? You know, and I'm I'm still driving myself nuts with this. Um, I feel like I'm so close to this, and I, I see the deficiencies, and I see the flaws, and I'm so jaded at this point. I mean, I I actually... I, I don't think I've admitted this on this show yet, but I hate this team. Um, I actually actively despise it. And I, I'm not anti-Gabe Kapler. I'm not necessarily anti-Matt Klintak. And it's nothing personal with anybody that's on the actual roster. But just watching this team play baseball is joyless. It's a, it's a miserable experience. Uh, and I actually thought it was widely miserable when they were winning games. It was kind of like, wow, uh, that, that three hours and 20 minutes was, was totally awful. I don't know how they won. And now I got to go talk about this. And and so one of the things that's kind of been weird for me is that over the last three or four months, even dating back to when the Phillies were, you know, peaking at 15 games over 500, Anthony and I would come on here and we would say, you know, great job. I don't know how they're doing it because these are all issues that this team is experiencing. And now those issues are actually catching up with them. And so I feel like we've been sort of redundant, sort of repetitive I guess what I'm getting at is I feel so close to this whole thing that I have a hard time sometimes stepping back and having perspective and saying, maybe it's not so bad. So I, I want to ask you this. With 20 games left, the Phillies are four games behind the Braves in the loss column. We all know that they have to play them head up seven more times. Atlanta's at San Francisco tonight. As we record, they're in the third inning. It's a scoreless game. Is there any chance in hell the Phillies come back and win this division and make us just all look like miserable, overreacting, you know, just dramatic observers of this mess? Or or are they no, done? Are they cooked? They're done. And, and the reason why they're done is the reason why it's a joyless experience to watch them. And it's the reason why they're not with the Braves. Uh, and I can break it down to three primary causes. Okay, we've already gone over the pitching. And unless Nola is pitching or unless Arietta has his stuff, it's impossible to feel confident that a Philly starter is going to give them a chance to win the game. So that's point one. You go into it uneasy. And oh, oh, by the way, because of the way they hit, and we'll get to that in a second. But if one of the starters gives up three runs in the first inning or four runs in the first three innings, you feel like you can turn it off, right? Yeah, you remember back like those 07, 08 teams. And yeah, that was the one thing everyone wanted to point to. They're like, well, you know, in, uh, in 07, they were seven and a half out with 17 left. And I said, well, you know, those teams could get down two, three, four runs. And, and you knew that the game wasn't over. Now, 2 nothing feels like 8 nothing. So that's point one. Point two for me is they don't feel it either. <laughs> like the pitching isn't very good, but they throw the ball all the hell over the place. And they don't catch it real well. And they don't have much range in some positions. So between all the contact they give up, all the walks they give up, and all the errors they commit, it's very hard to get enthusiastic when the Phillies are in the field. And then so you turn on, well, what, 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 what will we see when they've come to the plate? And here's what we see. We see walks. We see home runs. We see strikeouts. That's basically it. And, you know, baseball's under fire 
as being a sport that is falling out of favor with the younger generation because there's not enough action. The ball's not in play very often. And that's happening all throughout baseball. It's not just the Phillies. But I think the Phillies are like patient X for this condition because you look at their statistics again. Hoskins is 30 bombs. Um, Michael Franco has 22. Carlos Santana is 23 and what I consider to be not a very good year when he's sitting 230. Um, Oduble has 21. Nick you, Williams you is 17. He should have joined us three weeks ago when he was hitting 212. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so, yeah, he's, he's had a nice little bounce back, I suppose, but, you know, even dead cats bounce. The point is they have all these guys that have a reasonable amount of home runs, not a ton, but enough, but they're also hitting for spit, and their on-base stinks. And as we've said earlier, they don't get a hit when they need one. They put a jillion runners on base in a single game, and they score five runs and lose 10-5. That's why this team has been such a slog and it's been such a death march to the end of this season and the other thing i'll say and look i gotta be careful here because i never played any you know baseball at any certainly at any high level nor any real sports at any significant level so it's not for me to be telling professional athletes how to appear or how to look i'm sure they're trying their best but you don't see or feel a lot of urgency out of this team and i haven't seen or felt a lot of urgency out of the team or the manager since the middle of August when things went bad. How much of that do you think falls on Gabe Kapler? I mean, you, you hear these these guys come out after after games and they say, well, you know, it's not a must win, but it's time to start winning. And I've kind of been on the side of things throughout the course of this season that I don't need the manager to come out and throw a temper tantrum to the press. And I don't need Gabe Kapler to come out and talk about Carlos Santana's throwing errors or, you know, his lack of ability to, to get on base when he puts the ball in play. I don't need to hear him curse and, and be upset about Sir Anthony Dominguez or Victor Arano blowing games late. To me, there's no true benefit to that. Um, but it was easy to say that when things were going well and they were resilient and they were bouncing back from these brutal losses. Now you go a month and they haven't won a series, and, and it is fair to wonder, you know, is this whole – this this whole thing and the way that things have played out over the last month, is it a mark of a young, inexperienced team that's just not ready yet? Or do you think that this is a cultural thing that Gabe Kapler sort of cultivated, that, that he's he's kind of created this, eh, whatever, you know, we're going to go out there, we're going to try, and if, if the ball lands where it needs to land, great. If it's in our favor and if not, then oh well. You know, that's just the way, the, that's just the way things go. I mean... Do you think that that personality, that that inability to criticize or that resistance to be critical of his team has sort of been responsible for this lack of urgency, for this – because I, I think it's fair to say that. I, I agree with you in the sense that it just doesn't seem like this team really – you know, they really get a sense of what the moment is right now. Well, and it's chicken to the egg, right? So I don't need Kapler taking a bat to a Gatorade cooler – and I don't need him sticking his finger in somebody's face in the eighth inning in the dugout. And I don't even need him coming to the press after another loss and reaming somebody out or saying, all of these guys aren't good enough and I don't know how to reach them because they're not listening to me. Like, I, I get it. At some level, I think Plentak and the front office and to a degree Kapler understood that this team was not going to win this year. And by win, I mean make the playoffs. And I think everybody was pleasantly surprised with the start they got off to and how long they hung in there. But so it would be unreasonable of me and silly of me to 
say that Kapler then needs to change course just because they won a few more games in May and June than anybody thought they would, and it becomes something that he's not. But the thing I will say about Cape Kapler is, you know, in the spring, the narrative on him was coconut oil and be bold. And here's this new voice. And, you know, he's no longer Charlie Manuel's not coming through that door anymore. You know, we got this young, vibrant guy. Uh, has anything about Gabe Kapler's presentation to the press in the last uh, 40 days come off to you as bold or vibrant or interesting? If anything, he's more mealy-mouthed and corporate than I think just about anybody could be. I've been like impressed in a perverse way, the way he has dialed it down to the point where he is monotone, he's resolute. It's... There, there were there were there was a time back in July. I said, "Oh, tonight's the night. You know, tonight's the night. He's going to get out there and he's going to say something crazy. He's going to rip someone. It's coming." And then and then July kind of came and went. And then when things started hitting the fan in August, I said, "He's going to pop off tonight. Like it's going to happen." And right around mid August, I said, nah, "You know what? He's not going to do it." And it it is interesting. I'm I'm really glad you said that because I am. I am extremely surprised. One of the things I was really excited about when they hired Gabe Kapler, I, I didn't know necessarily if he'd be a good manager. Um, I still don't know if he's a good manager. I don't, I don't necessarily think he's a bad one, but I thought he would be interesting. I really thought that even if the team struggled or they were mediocre, that simply covering Gabe Kapler on a day-to-day basis and what he would give me as a writer – it would almost be easy to just take it and run with it. I mean, when, when he first gets hired, and he's like you said, the, the, the tanning of the balls and just the blog. and just Not the, the baseballs either. Yeah, the pitch, the, you know, like the, the pictures and the, the posing and the male model stuff. I'm like, oh, my God, this, this is going to be the gift that keeps on giving. And he is boring. Uh, he's vanilla. And I, I just – I actually can't believe – how uninteresting he really is. And is this just a product of him taking over year one? He hasn't quite gotten comfortable yet. Is this really who he is? And that's I one thing thoughts. that I wonder. I mean, yeah, if this two. team gets better and they start investing serious dollars and he knows it's time to win, is this the same Gabe Kapler we're going to get a year or two down the line? I mean, quickly, he might be under orders for all we know. And this is rank speculation on my part. I have no idea what his conversations are with the front office. But – Especially after he starts the season by <laughs> pulling a pitcher without anybody warmed up. Uh, you know, I can only imagine what that talking to he received when he came home was like. It might have been like, you know, we love your personality. We think you're awesome, but you better button it up and <laughs> stay straight for a while. And maybe he heard that and, and went the other way. Um, the thing I will say again, over the last 35, 40 days, two months, whatever you want to call it, when's the last time you saw Gabe Kapler smile? I haven't seen the guy smile. He, he looks like he's in that joyless phase in the dugout that you and I have watching it on television. Well, I think that there's, there's a human element to that. I mean, if you have confidence in yourself and you believe that you're going to do a good job, there had to be a point in this season where Gabe Kapler said, okay, we're starting to regress a little bit. It's a, it's a young team, and we do have some flaws, and those flaws are really starting to show now. But I'm Gabe Kapler, and I believe in my plan, and I think that I'll be able to turn it around. And so I guarantee you that there was a time in this season where he said to himself, I'm going to fix this, and I'm going to do what I do, and it's going to work. And I, I guess maybe a week or two or three into this little tailspin that they've been in now for, for the last month or so, there had to be a realization on his part that it was like, 
Jesus, being positive doesn't help. Um, these, these shifts that we're implementing aren't helping. My juggling of the lineup to try to optimize what little offense I have isn't helping. And there has to be a sense of helplessness on his end. I mean, there, there had to be some point where, where he got up one morning and said, holy shit, we're screwed, and uh, nothing I can do is going to fix this. And I, I almost wonder if that's kind of what has happened now. You I know, it was around the All-Star break, frankly. I mean, I was never one of the people who believed that Manny Machado was coming here. I didn't think that was consistent with what the organization has done in the last three, four years to then try to give away four or five prime prospects for a rental. That wasn't going to happen. The problem is there's a pretty big gulf between going out and getting Manny Machado and bringing in Boer and uh, the carcass of Jose Bautista and uh, Wilson Ramos, et cetera. Don't forget about Esdrubal Cabrera. Thank you, Esdrubal Cabrera. <laughs> there, are, there are players between Manny Machado and these castoffs that you might have been able to reach out for and pull in and make an impact with. And when the cavalry didn't come, I think at that point, Gabe was probably like, well— you know, they see what I have, and they see we've overachieved. So unless they think I can do this for 162 games, which is unlikely uh, for all the reasons we've seen, then he probably resigned himself to the fact that there was going to be a regression and it was going to be a slow slide. And honestly, as I mentioned earlier, had they gotten just a little bit more relief pitching at the end of a few games, we wouldn't be this depressed. But Phil, Phil let me ask you this. Do, do you blame Matt Klintak for – for not going all in, you know, not going out and getting the Brad hands of the world, not going out and, and being all in on Manny Machado. I mean, do you think that that would have been the right course of action? Or, or do you kind of look at it and say, this, this was a, a flawed team that wasn't even close, and it would have been silly to, to invest so many of your minor league resources in, in trying to get over the finish line this season? Well, only he knows what he could have done, because I don't have access to his players or the telephone numbers of all the GMs he would talk to to decide what it would take to get a Brad Hand or somebody. Like, again, my problem is I didn't want him to go all in for a Machado, but I didn't want him also to just sit on the chips he had, to use this poker analogy, uh, and bring in these uh, older retreads. I wanted something in the middle, but there's the possibility that the something in the middle, the player I'm describing who is a little younger and a little more capable would cost, you know, a an amount of uh, resources from a minor league prospect uh, perspective that it wasn't worth it, uh, especially when you're talking about it. And, and I mentioned this earlier. We've had these conversations off air. <laughs> when they played the Cubs uh, in that most recent series, before they played that Cubs series, I had said uh, to anyone who would listen, the reason why I'm not excited or married to the idea of the Phillies making the playoffs this year is because you're going to run into teams like the Cubs uh, or – you know, the Dodgers, that just have talents that you don't have in multiple spots on the field and in the rotation, and some of the games are going to be non-competitive like varsity JV. And sure enough, that Cubs series was not a competitive series. I know the Phillies won one of those games, but it was not – you could watch that series and see that if those teams play ten times, the Cubs win eight. And so now's not the time. You made the point earlier about how – the 017 made up the deficit, and there were other times where um, you know that that great Phillies team struggled a little bit and then just kicked it into another gear. Yeah, but they had all-star talent at four and five spots in the field, and this was a point I wanted to make earlier. You know, 
compare the Phillies and the Braves. They're only, like, as you said earlier, four games apart in the standings. But the Phillies don't have anybody like Ronald Acuna. They don't even have anybody like Ozzy Albies. Uh, you're jumping the gun on me. You're going to where I want it to be next. Um, well, I apologize, but that's that's the problem. Yeah, you're exactly right. So now I'll, I'll phrase this question to you because I think people are tired of hearing, hearing my position on this because I, I've stated it several times. One of the things that Anthony and I have spent a lot of time talking about really over the past couple of weeks in particular is what do you think about this team moving forward? Because now when you look at 82 wins or 83 wins or whatever they're going to end up with, like I said earlier, you know, a lot of people would have felt good about that earlier in the season. People would have signed up for that finish. And I think that if I would have told you back in March, hey, this team's going to finish over 500. They're going to finish in second place. That's a step forward. We should really feel good in going into this free agency signing period in which they have all of this money. And you have Manny Machado out there, Bryce Harper out there. My position is this. I don't really necessarily feel good about it at all because I don't know how many questions were answered this season. I look at it and say, all right, they had all of this young talent or these guys that we were hoping would make these huge leaps forward, and then you would supplement it with a Bryce Harper. You would go out and sign the Manny Machado, the big mega superstar free agent acquisition, to really put this team to the next level. Now, when I, when I go around the diamond, though, if, if Scott Kingery would have hit 285 this season and shown the characteristics that we were so excited about back in March, I would have said, okay, that's a big plus right there. If or even J- 265. Yeah, even 265, sure. Um, J.P. Crawford, if he was a functional major league player, sure. Uh, Jorge Alfaro, if he showed the, the power potential that he has in the form of 15 to 20 homers and w- received the baseball a little bit better on a consistent basis, if uh, Odubel Herrera continued to play at an all-star level out in center field, if Reese Hoskins was a competent defensive left fielder in addition to hitting 35-40 homers, if Cesar Hernandez continued to be a steady player, if Nick Williams or Aaron Altair made a jump, and so many of these things haven't happened. And so what I'm lo- left with now is well, I look around at this whole thing and I say, what do we really know about this team next year? And this is something Anthony and I had, had spoken about at length last week. What do we know about the 2019 Phillies at the end of this season? We know that Aaron Nola is a stud, and we know that Reese Hoskins is an above-average National League hitter. You know, he's a good power hitter. But there are questions even about him because he's playing so far outside of his realm in terms of defensive capabilities that – I almost wonder if what he brings to the table offensively is offset by his lack of defense. I mean, he is the worst defensive left fielder in baseball this season by almost every metric. He's terrible. And so now, is he going to continue to play out of position for the next two years? And if he is, then that's a question mark too. So I wanted more more certainty. I wanted some finality going into this offseason before I handed out a, a $285 million contract to a mega free agent. that's why I'm concerned moving forward. I don't necessarily believe. It seems to be common wisdom that this team is only going to get better over the next five years, that they're on an upward trajectory, and that progress will be linear. I don't necessarily see it that way, and I'm curious to know where where you fall on that. I'll tell you where I fall on that. First of all, um, an 82-win season this year, or 83, or whatever they end up with, maybe 81, it's going to feel like 75 if you get right down to it, for all the reasons we've, we've talked about. They're not fun to watch, and there are so many holes in the lineup and so many troubles with the rotation and in the bullpen that even though, again, they, they'll end up around 500 and they'll, they'll win 80-plus games, and you know, just looking at that win-loss record will possibly comfort some people. You know, like I said earlier, 
it only took a few results one way or the other for them to hold a few wins to go to 84, 85 wins, but it also, they stole some games early in the season that allowed them to be in the spot. Yeah, they were outrageous in one-run games for the first two, three months of the season, you know. For a very long time. And so you talk about um, they, they could do nothing but get better over the next five years. Well, that's true, but it could be really small increments of get better, right? Like it could just be a, a win here, two wins there, drop back a win, go up three wins, and you're just hovering around 500 like a lot of those Sixers teams before the process started, right? Like you were always an eight seed in the NBA playoffs, but you're never going to beat anybody good, and you never had enough players to ever really make the game interesting to watch. That could be where these Phillies go, especially when you consider, as you pointed out, if you're Klintak or if you're ownership and Klintak comes to you and says, I want to spend $400 million on a free agent, they're going to be like, are you crazy? Why would we spend $400 million on one player? We got eight needs. Yeah, I mean, if, if just say, uh, and uh, I guess I'll ask you this question, who, um, if, if you could have any one player join this team next season, who would it be? Would it be Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, somebody else? Well, Machado, sure, okay. because he plays left side of the infield and you have two holes in the left side of the infield right now, and he fixes one of those holes, and he's an elite hitter. And he's still young enough you're going to have at least four or five prime years, barring injury or a complete lack of skills. So that's an easy call, but the problem is he's got to want to come here, and I'm not sure he'll Yeah, I don't, actually don't here. think he does. <laughs> I mean, you, you talk about it's speculation on my end, but uh, I, I don't see it. I don't know why anybody really would want to come here, and I know that sounds crazy, but I think that that's the whole farce of this season is that people say, well, th- this team, how dare you be critical of this team? I mean, they've come so far. They've already won more games. You know, they, they had equaled their win total of last year by early August, and this is progress, and I just don't see it as slam-dunk progress. I don't see it as definitive progress. And if I were Manny Machado and I had to sign a, a seven-, eight-, nine-year deal right now and commit to an organization, I just don't know that I truly believe in what's currently in place in Philadelphia that I would want to sign that deal. That's just you're me. Also not, you're also not convinced that they're going to go get you three or four other expensive pieces, and you're also not convinced that there's more help coming from the farm system. Because because outside of Sixto either. Sanchez, I mean, you know, right. Mickey Moniak has has rebounded this season, and that's kind of been one of the the pleasant surprises of of this year. But he still looks far from an elite prospect. However, he does now look like a a prospect again because he he sort of looked like a lost cause. And I know he was only nineteen at the end of last season, but it was rough. It was a rough go to his his introduction to professional baseball. He's That's rebounding. still on the four-year timeline. Yeah, though. I mean, you're and talking about 2021, 20, 2022. Adam Hazley may be here next year, but is Adam Hazley a true game changer? Is he going to give you anything more than a guy like Nick Williams already is? Uh, you know, I, I don't believe in J.P. Crawford. I, I hope I'm wrong. I pray that I'm wrong, but I don't see it. I do think that Scott Kingery, and I think you and I disagree on this, if I'm not mistaken, but I, I do see some potential in Scott Kingery. I, I think that he was just overwhelmed. I think he was up here a year too soon. Um, not to say that the Phillies were wrong for starting the season with him up here. I, he, he earned it based on what he had done last season and in spring training, but it became evident very early on that, that he was overmatched. I'm not ready to quit on him yet. Uh, I still think that there's a chance he turns into a very good player. But really beyond that, I mean, there, there's just not a lot when you look at, at the lower levels here, you know, from single A all the way up. There aren't a ton of reinforcements coming, certainly not in the lineup. Um, they needed they needed Kingery to spend another month or two at AAA after he 
Got off to such a slow start. Right around Memorial Day would have been a fine day to send. Yeah, it would have. I feel like I don't know if it was a, I don't know if it was a perception thing that prevented that. I don't know if they were afraid that it looked like an admission that that perhaps they jumped the gun on that contract. Um, but but part of it was, and Anthony made a really good point. He says, "Yeah, I mean, I think in a perfect world he would have gone down." However, um, when you look at their organizational depth, especially back around that time. There weren't many guys that could come up and fill in for him. As bad as he was, I mean, there was just nothing there. You looked at how short their bench was back at the end of June and into July. I mean, you're talking about the Trevor Plouffe's and Pedro. You just Florimont's. hurt Pedro Florimond's feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jesmuel Valentine. I mean, the fact that uh, what's his name? That guy, Mitch Walding. I mean, that guy, Mitch Walding, was called to the major leagues multiple times this season. That tells you all you need to know about the Phillies' organizational depth. So he's a Nathan Peterman of Major League Baseball. Yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. So when you look at it that way, though, I mean, you know, the Phillies kind of were almost stuck there. It's like, well, you know, he probably should go down, but I don't know that we have a better alternative, even if it would have been beneficial to his development. So now this will be controversial, by the way, before we close the yeah, loop sure. on the expensive free agent uh, acquisition question. I am firmly in the camp. I don't want any part of Bryce Harper. I just don't want him here. Uh, okay, uh, why? He doesn't win. Um, he's overrated. He's had, like, one super elite season and, like, two or three good to very good seasons. And in a couple seasons, you could totally write off. And if you don't think he's a big part of why the Nationals are where they are right now as we speak, buried in third place and having sold off assets, um, we would have to disagree on that. It's, it's interesting to me because I've actually, a, a younger me has made that point. Like, what does this guy ever, what does he ever want? I mean, he's played on some extremely talented teams uh, since he entered the league in 2012. I just look at it, and I know that he really struggled over the first few months of this season. And, and I just pulled up his stat line as we're talking here. This isn't something that I had, you know, locked and loaded as, as a rebuttal, but I mean, it's tough, man. He, as bad as he was the first couple months, like I, I look across the stat line now and I go, okay, he's up to 251. He's raised his average like 35 points over the past two months. His OPS is at 899. He's got 32 homers in a down year, 110 walks. I, I don't know. I mean, I just I look at this and I go, this guy, to me, he's a difference-making talent. Now, would I, would I pay him $400 million? I wouldn't. So if, if that's going to be the price tra- tag, I, I agree with you there. It's just, I don't know. You're telling me if you, you woke up in, at the end of December and, and you woke up one morning and you saw on your phone, Philly signed Bryce Harper to a seven-year deal worth $340 million. Like, you would, your immediate reaction to that would be like, this is a mistake. I mean, would no, it really? I wouldn't say, no, I wouldn't say it was a mistake. I would say, all right, at least they tried. This is what they could get. <laughs> now you're laughing. This is what they could get. Uh, last five seasons that he has played, and he has, 100 games or more in. In fact, the, the lowest total was 2014, 100 games. 2017, 111 games. Here's his wins above replacement. You ready? 1.1, 10, 1. 1.5, 4.7, 1. 1.6. Three of the last five seasons, his war was one and a half or less. Now, I know that war is a quirky stat i never knew you to be a war guy (laughs) well look it's a quirky stat but it says what it says doesn't it i'm like i just got done saying he's had one phenomenal exceptional off the chart season in 2015 
and he had a really good season in 2017. Some of that is defensive base, though. I mean, if you— For sure. You know. And on top of that, they don't win. And on top of that, he definitely seems like a guy who, when it's going great, he's great to have. When it's going bad, man, you don't want any part of him. Okay. <laughs> I just you know, I think part of it is is that you look around and you say, Well, what are the what are the solutions here? And this is gonna be a, a certainly a pivotal offseason for this team, but it it's gonna be intriguing because I think that people are under the assumption that they are going to make the big splash this offseason. They're gonna go all in on somebody and that's gonna be the thing that, that kind of catapults them. I, I know that this city has been indifferent to the to the 2018 Phillies, and I, I totally get it. Uh, it's been a boring brand of baseball. I think a lot of people felt that the beginning of their season was a fluke, and it has proven to be, uh, and they were right. And and this is a smart enough baseball town that they're not going to be completely fooled. I, I guess what I find interesting, though, is that there's almost been, I think, on, on the fans' part, an acceptance of mediocrity, you know, when they decided to break this thing down after 2013, because if you remember, they, they make the postseason in 2011 and they're eliminated, and they, they sort of tried to patch it together in 2012, 2013, and really kind of maybe even into 14. But after that, they said, okay, no more. And so in 15, 16, 17, it was like, we've got to step back. We're going to lose, and, and you can call it tanking, call it whatever you want. But 2018 was about making progress, and they've sort of done that. I mean, they've made progress in terms of wins. I think that the assumption is that they're going to make that big splash now and take the step forward and make the postseason in 2019. And I think that there is a high potential to be disappointed in that. I, I think that they're not as close as many people believe they are. I really do think that the narrative here is that in 2019, here come the Philadelphia Phillies, they're going to rise to the top. And I just – I don't see it that way, and I, I – I think after having this conversation with you, you don't see it that way either. And I don't know that Manny Machado is a singular move or Bryce Harper as a singular move is going to make the difference. I don't know that that moves the needle. Yeah, we absolutely agree. And, and here's why. Maybe I've already hinted at this. But when you go in the tank, whether it be on purpose or just by dint of the fact that the organization is stripped from having tried to hold that dynastic group together for as long as they did – especially at the end with Spit and Bailing Wire. Remember, you know, Ryan Howard was getting a ton of at-bats for those teams because he was under contract and they couldn't move him, and so you were just stuck running him out there having him hit 220 um, or less. Um, the feeling, though, is that when you have seasons that terrible year on year on year, that, well, it's going to be okay because we're going to uh, get high draft picks, we're going to build from within, we're going to build cheap, and we're going to get all this young talent that's going to be under club control at low salaries, and then we will build around them with expensive free agents, and voila, we'll have a great team. Well, we already talked about the fact that Braves have generational, amazing young talent the Phillies can't touch. But it's even worse than that, because the Braves aren't even that good. The Braves aren't going to go very far in the playoffs. You look at rosters like the Astros and the Red Sox and the Cubs. Like, these aren't all – there aren't teams like the Dodgers that just spend and spend and spend and spend. These are teams that have drafted and have traded shrewdly and have built young cores of really strong talent across the diamond and in the rotation. The Phillies don't have anything close to that. And it's going to take another three to four years with any luck in the draft to get into that stratosphere. So, yeah, again, 
Could it be linear progress? Yeah, but it could be a very like thin line that doesn't go up very sharply at all and just kind of hovers around 500. So for all of you that were tuning into this podcast, hoping that a different voice might bring some optimism and positivity, uh, sorry, I, I hate to break it to you. But, uh, you know, one thing I'll say, man, and I, I take no joy in being right, was that we, we kind of said this all along. And there were times after some of these games this season where I, I kind of perked up and I said, you know, this team sucks, but fuck it. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll get it done, man. Like, maybe they're just going to do it anyway. Uh, but it, it certainly has now regressed to what we sort of all knew all along. Um, and a guy said to me the other day on Twitter, because if you follow me on Twitter, you know what an absolutely oh, miserable human being I am and how much this team has just I give you grief on Twitter. sucked I my it. soul. Uh, it, you know, some guy says, you you have been negative all along, but I give you credit because you've also been, for the most part, right. And don't get me wrong, I've had my share of stupid takes, and, and Anthony and I kind of hashed over our, our dumb takes throughout the season. But, you know, it's not that I'm negative. If you go back and look at my Eagles stuff from, from last season, they warranted that optimism. They warranted being fun and goofy and excited. This team never did. Uh, and it, it kind of, when I go back and I, and you know, I'm sure you do the same thing. You look at the stuff that you write, you go back and look at the stuff that you wrote from a, a few months ago and you kind of see how it stacks up and you evaluate where you were. Did I get that one right? Was I too hard? And Bob, I'm the guy that wrote that Herrera wouldn't last the season yeah. because Altair was going to be such a great player. So yeah, I'll, I'll raise my hand on that. Yeah, but you know what's funny so about great. that? I, I remember when you wrote that, I kind of rolled my eyes and said, you know, because I was in the Odubel Herrera gets a bad rap deal. You know, like that. That's that was my thing, and if if you look at it from that way, you've been more right on him than I was. I, I really believed in him. I kind of thought he got a bogus deal from the fans in the city, but he's kind of proven to be. He's twenty six now. Yeah, he he's, warrants the criticism that finished, he's gotten yeah, from a lot of people. He's close to a finished product. Yeah, that, that's no other way to put yeah. it. He's not going to mature. He's not going to develop better plate sense. He's not going to develop better discipline. He's not going to stop making mental errors. He's just what he yeah, is. I, I agree with you, Phil. Potentially, like I've often said, he is like a discount version Victorino because Victorino had a lot of flakiness to him too. But he also had these special talents of speed and, and getting on base. And, you know, his teammates liked him a lot and he was kind of goofy. And as long as you had non-crazy people around Shane Victorino, he could be really useful. The problem is... Herrera is sort of a flake and makes all these mistakes. And who around him is going to be the one to come to him and say, hey, knock it off? Carlos Santana? Really? Yeah, Reese Hoskins. <laughs> yeah. Reese Hoskins? And, you know, and it's funny you say that, and it's it's interesting that you brought up that point because the one thing I'll say about Odubel Herrera was that I kind of defended him in the sense that, yeah, he would tune out, he would do something stupid, but I would say, well, you know, they're 30, 40 games under 500, so who cares? You know, it would be hard to keep focused day in, day out when you're that bad. So my, my hope was that once these games became meaningful and that the stakes were raised, that he would kind of dial in and, and be the player that I thought he could be. And he didn't yeah, really rise, that, though, he didn't rise to that challenge this season. I mean, there's no get, question about it. You get fatter pitches to hit when your team is 40 games out of uh, yeah. first place. You know, last year he hits 280 or whatever he hit because there were a lot of times pitchers like, go ahead, the game's 10-1. If you yeah. hit it out, it's 10-2. I really don't care. Yeah, get yours. Yeah, and now it's not like that. And you, a lot of these guys' flaws have been exposed. And so, again, not to trend overly negative because, again, you know, great. They're around 500. 
But if you wanted to roll it back again in 2019, if, if I said to you, there's no more money coming in here and these guys are all coming back, which of these nine to 10 players, uh, other than Nola and Arietta and, and Hoskins, which of these nine to 10 guys that see a lot of time for this team do you trust to make the step next year that they didn't make this year? You want me to come up with nine? I'm not sure I could come up with two, two right now. Give yeah. me two. Uh, I mean, that's my point. Yeah, give no, me two. I I really don't know. I mean, I think that there are guys like Arano and Dominguez that are going to be good bullpen pieces, not necessarily all star bullpen pieces. Uh, I think Reese Hoskins is is what he has shown himself to be this season. I think he's a 260 hitter that that'll pop 35 homers. Uh, I don't know that Michael Franco is going to come back and have as good of a year next year. You know exactly. Uh, the, the only exactly. guy that I would say, if if you force me to, and you said, will he be better next year? I would say Kingery will be improved. Yeah, how could he not be though? You know, but I mean, really? to the point not where I'm talking about him hitting 240. I'm talking about maybe him being more of a, a 270 guy and that shows a little bit of pop, plays well, above average fair. defense. I, I do think that that's reasonable. But other than that, Phil, I mean, nobody. You know, so that's. That's where the frustration and that's where the disappointment and, and really, I guess, if you want to call it pessimism, you can. That's, that's why I'm not really all that thrilled. I don't feel good about this. And not just because they're faltering down the stretch and because they won't make the playoffs this season, but because I just don't feel all that great about next year either. And, and that's the problem. And, and I know that it's, it, this is a thing that Anthony and I have talked about several times. It's like you have to be one way or the other. You either have to be definitive and say that the Phillies are going to be terrible next year or that they're going to finish in third or fourth place and they're going nowhere fast, or you have to piss positive and say, like, they're good and they'll be okay. And I'm somewhere in the middle, man. Like, I just – I don't necessarily see it. It doesn't mean that it can't happen, but do I feel good about it? I don't. Just like in our great American society, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And the problem is it's very hard for people to yeah. come Oh, to I middle. feel like fewer – yeah, people less and less are, are, are arriving in the middle. you got to take that extreme stance, you know? So before you close the loop on me, because sure. remember we're approaching yeah. an hour here, you still didn't answer my question. Who the hell closes for this team next year? I, I guess they'll go into it with Dominguez. I think that that'll be the – That'll be the answer to your question, though. They'll tell you that they don't need a closer because analytics, blah, 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 blah. I was really um, the sort of person who would take shots at Tommy Hunter, but he hasn't been nearly as bad as I thought he was going to be for the last two months. Yeah, he's, he's been kind of better. I've, I hate Tommy Hunter, um, but he's kind of made me say, okay, all right, time to ease up. I don't know that I would go I like him or trust him, but you have to lay off him a little bit. I mean, he's been okay. Is Neris here next year? Yeah, so I think Hector Neris is the interesting guy. I mean, wasn't he the uh, like NL relief pitcher of the month in August? Um, I think he was. So. He was awesome. And you know, this isn't a guy that was totally out of nowhere. You know, obviously, what he did the first two three months of the season was was horrible. Um, but he has bounced back. I mean, he's always had the strikeout potential. He's always been difficult to hit when he has a feel for his pitches. He just lost control of him for, for a couple months, and, and you're seeing him rebound now. I, I think where the Phillies are at, because they are so far from the finished product, I don't know how he's not back. I mean, how do you – isn't the whole thing with this team right now that you have to kind of roll the dice on upside? And, and if nothing else, I mean, he may be inconsistent and he could be a complete catastrophe in 2019, but there's certainly enough upside there that I would, I would want to try. And that, that's well, where and I'm if you're, coming from. Yeah, if you're building again under Kapler, you know, it's year two for Kapler next year. So 
while I was very pessimistic about the idea that a bunch of the hitters would all of a sudden start hitting in the second year just because they rolled it back again, at some level, the hope has to be that with some continuity uh, in the manager's chair and a little bit more help in the free agent market, some of these guys will get better and or at least give you exactly what you thought you were getting this year that you didn't get. And, you know, maybe Neris is one of those guys. I just... <laughs> that noise. That noise stri- is the 2018 Phillies. That just but 14. I- yeah, 14 strikeouts per nine is is enticing and and very exciting, uh, and I like it a lot. But then 11 home runs in 40 and two thirds innings is a problem. <laughs> like, well, you know, like a lot of those home air. runs happen in like three appearances. So, uh, I have one more question for you before we get sure. out of here, um, because. Carlos Santana all season has been the most divisive character on our show, and, and really, I think, for most Phillies fans. Um, what would you do with Carlos Santana in 2019? Uh, you're the general manager of the Philadelphia Phillies. What do you do? Is he back? You do you use trade my, him? What do you, what's the deal? Did you use my line on your show about Carlos Santana? I did not. Which was, if you loved Bobby Abreu, we have the guy for you <laughs> in Carlos Santana. Uh, and, of course, that's tongue-in-cheek because people hated Bobby Abreu. And, in fact... Santana did a lot of the things that Bray used to do that made people crazy, i.e. stand and watch ball four with second and third and one out, draw his walk, and then the next guy rolls into double play. And you're like, well, you know, Carlos, I know that pitch that tickled the outside corner that you got called for a ball. I know that you got the walk, but, like, we need you to flare that thing in the left field if you can. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. What do you do with Carlos Santana? Well, you're stuck. I don't know how else to put this. You're stuck. Unless you are going to admit – that you've done wrong and let Hoskins play 80 to 90 games at first base and have him effectively platoon with Santana at first. It's a lot of money to pay a platoon player. If you get a better left fielder, maybe that's what you do. But otherwise, you know, you just have to eat the mistake the way you ate the Ryan Howard mistake for a long time. You're not eating it so long with Carlos Santana. And you got to kind of hope that especially if they don't contend next year, but if Santana's hitting instead of 230, if he's hitting 255 and his on base is 360 or 365, and maybe he's got 65 RBI, well, if you're platooning, it won't happen. But if you start him, if you don't do the, the thing with Hoskins at first base at all, and you just roll him back out there and let him start every game, if his numbers are marginally better and a lot of the contract's been chipped away, maybe you can ship him out the All-Star break. Y- you know what I do? I say, look at this finish that he's having. He's having a nice September. I swallow ten million dollars of his salary and I trade him. Uh, if I, you can get interest, yeah, I, make I it think happen. you can. At eight to ten million dollars a year in terms of salary over the next two years, I think you can get him out of here. Yeah, and but who who puts him in a DH? Because that's really where he belongs. But like, can you have a DH who's hitting two thirty? I wonder. I mean, if if you have a need for a guy that can get on base and, and you know have that that mid three hundreds on base percentage, if that's what you're looking for, and and you can pay him eight to ten a year, I think that there's value in that. Um, yeah, I do. I, I really think that they need to fundamentally reconstruct the nature of this roster and this so lineup. So you're sending him to Tampa then? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, you know, I think that that's really what needs to happen. I just don't think that you can go into next season. Maybe they don't fix the offense in its entirety, and maybe they don't solidify the rotation completely, and maybe there's going to be one or two questions in the bullpen, but you can't go into 2019 and allow this team to play the same type of defensive baseball that they played this season. That's one thing that is rectifiable, and the most direct path to that, I think, is taking 
taking a guy that is the worst defensive left fielder in baseball and letting him become a an, a, an average to slightly below average first baseman and, and fill in the hole in left. I think that that has to happen. If, if this team played league average defense this season, forget the starting pitching regression towards the, the end of the season, forget the bullpen implosions, forget the bad offense. If they just caught the ball like the 14th to 17th best team in Major League Baseball this season, they'd probably be winning the National League East right now. And you know what else? They wouldn't have had Jake Arrieta having meltdowns yeah. internally for a solid three months beginning of the season. When, what did they give up, like 16 or 17 unearned runs? In like yeah, and what do you think starts? the mental – what do you think the wear is on that? If you're a pitcher and you know, okay, well, I can't make any mistakes here because, one, my team's not going to score for me, and, two, they're not going to catch the baseball for me. So we well, can't talk about the Phillies pitching all we want, and, and they do warrant criticism, but it's got to be pretty damn hard to pitch like that, knowing that you have no came, margin for error in any way. He came from Chicago. Look at the infield that Chicago rolls out <laughs> yeah. defensively. Like, if you put the ball on the ground in Chicago, it's an It's out. over. Yep. Um, and it's not that way here. And so he really, for the first couple of months, it was a very rude awakening, a, a tough reentry for him. And um, I give him credit, actually. You know, I'm not saying Jake Arrieta has been everything they hoped he would be. Uh, Ten and nine's not fantastic. But he's taken the ball. And but for a little bit of bitching and moaning about the lack of support behind him defensively, he's been a pretty good soldier. And, you know, his last start was really good. Had they had a field that was presentable tonight to play on, I think he would have beaten the Nationals and gone 11-9 after that and maybe could have finished the season with 14 wins. So we'll see. All right. What do I have to do before we get out of here? I, I think Ross wanted us to talk about Amerigas. Amerigas is a sponsor Absolutely. of uh, Crossing Broadcast and Crossing Broad. Uh, I believe that they uh, have generously sponsored some uh, different contests for us uh, recently. Oh, champion. So. As a champion steak grill. Yeah, that's what I hear. That's the be. rumor. I was out of town uh, that night. but uh, I am a I am a, a huge proponent of Amerigas and everything they stand for. <laughs> and uh, their products are fantastic. And it, it'll be my honor. Uh, the next time you're in town, if, if we do steak off too or whatever. Uh, I'll be there. You thing. know, I probably yeah, should have we'll done have this. Here. I probably should have done this at the top of the show. I don't know who the hell would listen to Phillies baseball talk for 57 minutes at, at this point in the season. But if you're listening, yeah, we appreciate it. And also go out and, uh, you know, get your Amerigas on. So that's. And it wasn't it wasn't Amerigas's product that warped the siding on the back of my head. That's too. good. All right. Well, that's good to know. Um, uh, it, make sure that you check out uh, what do we have in the cross. Crossing Broad Network. Anthony usually is the guy that does this. We have Crossing oh, Broadcast. Snow the goalie, they, of course. Yes, yeah, Snow the Goalie with Anthony and Russ. And uh, you have Crossing Broadcast. I think they recorded for the first time in about three weeks uh, right before the Eagles game last week. I, I hear rumors that they are going to start recording more consistently again. So hopefully that's the case. Uh, well, Kyle's got a lot on his He's got, right what, now. two kids? Yeah, he's got the for newborn sure. and, and uh, right. legalized gambling and. and <laughs> yeah, I've been in Let's the le- about that. I've been in the legalized gambling rabbit hole with Kyle now for the uh, the last month or so, and let me tell you, it's it's a lot more than people people understand. But okay, so we have that. We have uh, what else do we have? It's always soccer in Philadelphia, and then we have Crossing Correct. Broad FC. When are you guys getting back on? What, what's Crossing the plan? Crossing Broad there? FC. We are going to record this week. Um, the European leagues are now back up and running again. World Cup has long since passed, um, and so Russ and I finally have a little bit more to talk about. So we will be. Locked and loaded, uh, I would say, Thursday, Friday this week. All right. Because Anthony and I hate misery, we'll be back next Monday to uh, record the next episode of Crossed Up. Uh, Thank you for listening, everybody. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll uh, catch you soon.